0: So I'm looking for something around me because literally it's just dark around me. I'm sort of turning around seeing if I can spot something. And of course, what I spot in the distance is a tiny speck of light. The moment I look at it, it grows larger and I'm being drawn to it. And it's like I'm running towards
1: it at the speed of light. My guest today is Vincent Olivier. Welcome to the show, Vincent.
0: Um, thank you very much for having me as a guest. It's my pleasure and my honor to be there.
1: I understand that you had an NDE, or was it several NDEs some time ago? Would you like to give us a little bit of background and tell us about what happened?
0: Yes, certainly. Um, I had a near-death experience in 2018, uh, January 2018. Uh, but perhaps before I explain that near-death experience, it's worth mentioning um giving you a bit more background about my life because that near-death experience was my fifth encounter with death and I had reached the point at which I was thinking that death was actually chasing me and there was something wrong with me because I was surviving every encounter with death as well. So perhaps I, I'll start and I'll give you like a brief summary of my childhood and how it led to that um, near-death experience in 2018. Um, I was born in the early 80s And and childhood, nothing particular aside from moving countries at a very young age. Uh, My parents moved from France to Africa. And the first 10 years of my life were just marked perhaps by two recurring dreams and a very early encounter with death when I was just a few weeks old. And my parents were driving to see my grandparents. And I would be meeting my grandparents for the first time. And they had a car accident, uh, nothing oh. major. Uh, there were no injuries and so on. But it's just like in a, you have to think back in the 80s. Car safety wasn't as good as it is today. And as a baby, you know, I was in a cradle. There was not, not even like, you know, baby or seat belt. So I literally flew inside the car and bounced inside it. And of course, my parents were a bit worried that something has happened to me. But I was perfectly fine. I guess babies were quite malleable, you know, at that age. Um, so in a way, I met my grandparents at the police station where they were just like recording the accident. Um, but that was my first encounter with death. I have no memory of it. It did nothing special, specific to me as far as I could tell at the time. Um, the strange thing at that age is before we moved to Africa is I tend to have lots of memories of the first few months of my life, which is unheard of every time I did research oh. about it uh, scientists are always saying no no you always have memory from the age of three to four onwards but not really before that so i do have mem- a lot of memories that i check with my parents when i was a kid say, oh i remember that you know we were living in the suburbs and there was these big tall concrete buildings and it was the 80s i remember that guy wearing like a leather jacket and his pink uh, mohawk and uh, or green mohawk and my mother would say, oh, yeah, that was at the park. We had like a few, well, we we label them punks, but it was like more, you know, rock and roll fashion. It's not in a bad way. Uh, French people say punk. And um, so, yeah, lots of memories like that. And then the memories do vanish as I move to Africa, and they come back around the age of three to four, indeed. Um, and then I had two recurring dreams when I was a child. My first dream was, I'm an adult, and I'm being chased by five to six guys. Uh, Literally, they're running after me. So I'm trying to escape, and it's kind of a big city environment. I get to a dead end. I just have the time to turn around, and I know that they're about to kill me, and there's no escape for me. And I'm thinking really hard, I need to escape that situation. They pulled out guns, and they fire right away at me. And I'm seeing myself elevating and I'm thinking, yeah, great, I'm escaping them. Uh, and then I realized that they're still shooting my dead body and they're checking my dead body. So imagine you're a child, you're five, six years old, and you have that dream that constantly comes back, which is quite violent in a way for a, at that age. I couldn't make a lot of sense of it. It was really freaking me out. And it made me more panicked about the idea of death. And the other dream, recurring dream I had was more around... Um, it's more an analogy, I guess, but it was like a big rock going down the slope. And that big rock is actually very light, not heavy at all. As it goes down the slope, it becomes tinier and tinier and heavier and heavier as well. And I think that was just an analogy for maybe spirit spiritual to a more condensed human experience, perhaps. But again, as a child, I could not make any sense of it. I tried to talk to adults about it, but they could not figure it out for me. So those, those were coming back all the time. And if you fast forward to around the age of 10, um, maybe I should, should just add that by moving to Africa. Uh, I guess you know a bit about it in Australia as well, but uh, there were a few dangerous animals, snakes. <laughs> and of course, that did not <laughs> yeah, that did not do much to alleviate my fear of death because some of them could be deadly. Um, and, of course, you know, there have been a few encounters where I found myself face-to-face with a snake. Oops. Um, but, yeah, fast forward to around the age of 10, I had headaches for quite a few weeks, unexplained as well. And I had back-to-back emergency surgeries at the time. And no one really knew where they came from, but I had my appendix removed. And a few weeks after that uh, actually I was flown back to France on emergency because I had like a brain tumour. And so I had to undergo surgery. Uh, That was the last time I saw Africa uh, which I love by the way because the nature is so abundant and life was very simple over there. Um, But yeah, I'm being moved back to France. I have to spend like a month in a hospital. Um, But I'm receiving really good care and I have no symptoms or problem whatsoever. I recover very quickly. Nobody is really able to explain what, else, what was the origin of that, but it's being treated. And here I am uh, back on my two feet and enjoying life. And I think my family did, did a really great job of never putting too much emphasis on what had happened. So it happened. We We live in the present and we have to look forward to the future. So, Let's just move on with life. So as a teenager, I was more of a shy teenager, I would say, but I gained confidence uh, through my teenage years by practicing a lot of sports and around everything was sort of like going back to a normal life. And around the age of 17, I'm involved again in a car accident. Uh, this time it was a bit more violent. I was a passenger and the driver lost control of the car and we basically skidded to the other side of the road hit like a grassy bank the car flipped on its roof went the other side of the road and was literally kind of flat flattened where i was sitting i have I, my last recollection of that accident is as we were about to hit the the grass and i just remember crossing my arms saying no I'm thinking, that's it, I'm dead. I heard, that's the end. It all goes blank and then I wake up and I'm faced with the sky and for some reason I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm about to fall into the sky <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just laying down on the side of the road and the reason for maybe that thinking process was I could see a tire and that was because the car was turned upside down and I was just laying behind the car. So firefighters were around and Um, paramedics and so on just checking on us again i was perfectly fine Uh, i had a quick check in hospital and with the people around the car nobody was injured which actually was kind of a miracle because i saw the pictures of the car afterwards and where i was sitting was completely flat so from the bonnet you could say you could tell like there was a continuation of the line instead of having the you know the, the windscreen and and the roof it was just flat completely flat and And I'm quite a tall guy because I'm six foot four. And I I was thinking that's how we escape that. I cannot explain. And it was at that age that it really hit me that there's something where it's like I'm surviving. I've got all these episodes with death. I'm surviving it all the time. I'm not really sure what it's meant to be. And I remember one day talking to one of my grandmothers because I've got a really good relationship with my family and both sets of grandparents. I had really profound conversations with both my grandmothers. I have to thank them for, for that as well. Um, and I said to one of, my, one of my grandmothers, how is it that some people seem to die for a lot less than what I've gone through? Um, and of course, there are people who go through a lot more and a lot tougher and harder situations too. But nonetheless, it seems that for me, I've been facing death four times already, yet I'm still here, you know, with all my limbs, all my capabilities, um, just a lot of scars on my body, sure, but nothing major. And the answer she gave me stayed with me because she, she replied, well, son, you've yet to do what you came here to do. And. I replied, okay, so what is it? And she said, well, it's for you to figure out. But, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, meeting the love of your life, having children, just running your life. Sometimes it's all it does to make a difference. But I said, yeah, but why why did I need to go through all that? This still doesn't make sense. Even if I have a purpose in life, you know, what's the purpose as well of facing death and being completely freaked out of the possibility of dying every single day? And she said, well that's going to be part of your story you know it probably will make you more resilient uh, mentally tougher if in case you have to go through like a a difficult situation and so maybe I was 18 between 18 and 20 years old when we had that conversation but life goes on go to uni start a job a career and so on so I mean my 20s are absolutely fine I get to my early 30s and this is when we getting to the episode of the near-death experience that happened in 2018. At the time, I had uh, nothing to complain about my life. I live in a nice house in the United Kingdom. Um, I drive a nice car. I'm married to the love of my life. Life is great. Except that professionally, I am extremely unhappy. with my career. I find I've got too much pressure. I don't like where I'm at. and um, I've started to study for a complete different career path so i was essentially in digital marketing and data management and i wanted to move to being an osteopath and i'd already done like some qualifications to be a massage therapist and i was doing like the later part of the studies to bring me to the osteopath level so my days are pretty busy because i'm really busy at work lots of pressure and i'm also really busy in the evenings i'm studying at the weekend uh, in the weekends, I'm studying. If I'm sometimes, I have to go to classes as well. Oops! So I'm constantly studying, or busy, and also, I deep down, I feel like I should press the pause button for some reason. I'm doing too much. My partner has some concerns as well, um, and I, it's it's one of those catch twenty two situations. I'm like, well, but if I leave my job, I'm losing the income that is providing for my osteopath training but if I stop the osteopath training I'm also losing that potential career change that would potentially make me happier in with life so in hindsight rather stupidly I stay in the same situation <laughs> um the one evening we were at a restaurant with my wife and I feel out of nowhere a sharp sensation on my right flank um like a stabbing sensation is the best way to describe it. I've never been stabbed, but that's the way we described it. And um, we. I, I think like maybe it's the food or there's something or it's the, my stress levels are too high. So we get back home. I barely sleep all night um, in absolute pain. Uh, it's like cycles of increasing pain. So we do call the emergency services early in the morning and they advise that I go to the nearest hospital to be checked, which we do. And over there, the doctor looks at me, does a quick checkup and says, probably indigestion. You were at the restaurant yesterday. You had Thai food. Nothing wrong with Thai food. I love Thai food. <laughs> it's just unfortunate it happened to, to be Thai food. So she ruled it as a yeah, food poisoning, if you like. And I go back home. I cannot go to the office. I'm just like really still in agony, thinking I will get slightly better because I do receive some medication, Um, but they don't do much. Friday goes past. It was a Thursday evening, I should say. So Friday goes past, still pain. Saturday, still very painful. And this is where I'm really starting to see no improvement to my situation. And I remember saying multiple times to my wife, "I'm I'm dying, darling. I feel like I'm dying. Like my body is literally shutting down. Um you fast forward to the Sunday morning in the early hours of the morning and we have to call the emergency services again. This time they decide to send an ambulance. So half an hour later maybe I do have a paramedic in my house and I'm laying on my sofa in the living room whilst the paramedic is doing some checks. Um, he does give me painkillers, which he does inject through IV and he also gives me like a mask and he instructs me to take a few deep breaths. And apparently these are medical gases of some sort. And so I start inhaling um, the the, the gases and I do feel a really relieving sensation. Um, I also feel like, you know, the fluids of the painkillers trickling down in my blood veins and in the body. It's kind of this warm and pleasant sensation. But for the first time in, in more than three days, I'm able to relax. And the next moment, I find myself in a black void. There's nothing around me. I don't even have a memory of what my last vision was. I'm just there floating in that dark void. I'm not thinking anything at that moment. If anything, I'm more relaxed and even relieved. And after a short while, i thinking, what am I doing there? So... I'm looking for something around me because really literally it's just dark around me. So I'm sort of turning around seeing if I can spot something. And of course, what I spot in the distance is a tiny speck of light. The moment I look at it, it grows larger and I'm being drawn to it and it's like I'm running towards it at the speed of light. And as I approach that sphere of light that's becoming larger and larger, I see or I distinguish uh, four beings within that light and I can only see their shadows so the light is so bright that I see dark silhouettes within the light and i I'm, at the same time what something really strange occurs to me which is I do recognize those people instantly and I know I have not seen them in a very long while and I'm so happy to see them again I cannot remember their face to this day I just knew that I knew them from somewhere, uh, but that somewhere was definitely not this life I'm living as Vincent. And at the same time, the thought of my wife occurs to me. I'm thinking back as my life, and I'm realizing that, hang on a second, it's lovely to see you, but if I'm seeing you, it means that I'm in the process of dying, and that's not what I want. I'm way too young for that. At the time, I was 33 years old. I still have a lot to live. I still want to achieve a lot more. So, no, I don't want, I literally don't want to die. And I remember the words I said. It was a mix of French and English at the time. it just what came to me. And it really came from the heart. And excuse the language, but I just replied, no fucking way. Pas maintenant. And pas maintenant literally translates to not now. And, And uh So yeah, no fucking way, payment, no. And it seems like the beings within the light were not offended in the slightest. And the next instant, the the light just zooms out from me and I feel like I wake up in my physical body. I'm back in the living room in the house I was living at at the time. My wife is touching my shoulder, um, very gently pressing on it. And I look at her. She looks really panicked on her face. And I'm totally confused about what has just happened. And she asks me, are you okay? I look at her and say, yeah, I'm okay. But the first reflex I have is, hang on a second, what, what has just happened? It's so weird. So I try, I grab the mask again because it had fallen on the floor. And I inhale a couple more times. I'm trying in, almost in a scientific manner to replicate what has just happened. Nothing happens. I don't go back to the dark void or anything and then the pain comes back because literally for a short moment I was pain-free and the pain in my body comes back and it's so strong at that moment so hard that I regret my decision thinking actually I was much better when I was on the other side because I was pain-free it was very soothing it was very cushy I would say, you know, very, very light, very comfortable, not being in a physical, in that physical body. And so, yeah, I tried to, I tried to replicate it, nothing happens. Um, the paramedic at that moment, I did not notice that I, what had happened, because he was uh, turning uh, his back to me, taking notes on his notepad. But basically, he comes back to me and says, hey, we need to rush you to hospital. It's really bad. So I'm being rushed to hospital and this is something that then happens is i forget about the nd and what has happened which i've listened to countless people uh, recounting their nds i've yet to find someone who said i've forgotten about my nd i think i had to focus so much on what was happening next that i just pushed it aside so being rushed to hospital they do a few tests and very quickly doctors come to me and say, well, um, you know, when you had your appendix removed, back in, in the days, I say, yeah, 24 years ago. Yeah. Um, do you remember if it was like an emergency case or if it was taken in time? And I say, I just can't remember. You know, I was a child. So basically I went with the flow. My parents would know, but right now is perhaps not the best time to give them a call. And, uh, so he said, well, listen, it probably was dealt with too late. And I think you have some complications due to that. So you might have to undergo surgery. But let me tell you, it's uh, quite a complicated one. But we, we'll see what we can do. So I said, can we avoid surgery? I said, well, we can try um, procedures to minimize surgery. And let's give that a go. You're in good health. You're in good shape. So we can give that a go. Anyway, I'm being moved to a hospital room and later that day uh, a surgeon comes in and he says right away, oh, I can take you to the theater right now if you want and, and, we, you know, I can operate you. And I remember I had a sensation, like a voice in my head saying, say no, say no, you can't accept that. So I'm pushing back, so I don't want to have surgery, sir, you know. I I want to try other non-invasive methods if possible. And he's really insistent and pushy. But, you know, well, I have time now, I have space now. So, you know, for me, I just, it's a couple of hours maybe and we're done. I said, no, no, I I literally have had a couple of surgeries in my life. I know what it's like. I don't want to replicate that. As he left the room, I look at my wife and I said, I didn't like the look in the eyes of that person. There was an energy or something I didn't like. And she said, Sam, I just didn't like the vibe so I spend the night in the hospital the day after that surgeon comes back again and still offers me to go for surgery and I still push back and we try non-invasive method but nothing changes and a couple of days later another surgeon comes in this time we're really gel. we've got the same you know, view on how we should conduct things and so on so I'm being um, I undergo surgery over there and it's quite a heavy surgery because to give you a quick medical explanation, my, when my appendix had been, had been removed, the scar tissue had not healed properly, perhaps due to the brain tumor, maybe the body was busy with a lot of different healing. Um, and it created what we call adhesion inside the abdominal wall. And basically what it had done is it had like, over time, stuck my intestine on my abdominal wall. And because my intestines could not move freely, they basically created a knot on themselves. And it's one of the worst situations. So it's not nice what I'm about to say, but basically the surgeon opens you, opens your tummy, takes it out and ties it and puts it back in. Um, and funnily enough, for a few weeks after surgery, I could really tell that the, the intestines were not in the positions they were before. It's a strange feeling. I don't know how to explain it any better. But that's how it was. Anyway, I leave the hospital and I've got this long road to rehab in front of me because literally any abdominal surgery, that's quite um, intensive. I couldn't I could I couldn't lift like a, a kettle or a cup without feeling the pain. I couldn't close the curtains. I mean, there were many things I couldn't do in the first few days after surgery. So I was sleeping a lot. And healing also emotionally and psychologically from what has just happened. And it took me a few months to understand what was going on. But all this all this time, sorry, I was always thinking. Well, there's. I just knew that nothing could happen to me when I was in hospital, as if because I had said no to dying, although I did not remember it fully. I knew that I would sail through the operation and the surgery and the rehab. Um, the the rehab went absolutely fine. I re- recovered a bit faster than what is normal. For what I learned a few months after surgery, when I met with my surgeon again, was the morbidity rate for that type of surgery is 40%. So it's two in five people don't make it through. And he explained to me at the time that because I was young and fit, he wanted wanted to do more, uh, but he did not. He said, I just literally did the bare minimum to get you back on your feet on the basis that I could tell you were in very good physical shape. So I knew you would recover quite quickly. So the road to recovery is about 18 months. Uh, The first six months, you recover about 80%. And then it's like 10% the next six months and 10% the following six again. So what really changed after the surgery, once I got a bit more, better physical health and energy, was for some reason, I really started to push myself to doing more. Within, you know, my physical capabilities at the time, of course. But I was like, oh, I need, I need to enjoy life more. Um, so I need to change job because I'm not happy in my job. And would you have it? Uh, a, a job opportunity just came, which was absolutely perfect for me. Required a bit more training, but I did that. And I finished my classes on osteopathy remotely most of the time, and I passed it. And so I was just like, wow, options are opening again for me. And 2018, I would always tell to people for me it was actually a great year because aside from January, February, which were, you know, not really good months, the rest of the year, it seemed like all the doors were opening again as if I was back into a, a state of flow. However, my fear of death was still present. Deep down, I was fearing that the episode I had just had could happen again uh, or something similar. So for a few months, I was a bit, weary. Every time I was leaving the house, I was like, wow, what if I'm going too far? Even though I was pushing myself, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm on that train. I'm four hours away from my, home, from my home. What if I've got like a health incident right now in the middle of the train, you know? Um, those thoughts would be there constantly. And it did really change when a few months after the surgery, out of the blue, my mother sent me an article about a surgeon who was fascinated by near-death experiences and who had partnered with a hypnotherapist to try to understand what was happening. And he had developed a protocol to put people in a specific state of hypnosis that would or could, according to him, be quite close to experiencing ND with none of the physical ailment or the dangerous situation that goes with the ND, because very often I don't recommend anyone to have a near-death experience, it means that you're about to die and there could be dire consequences as well on on you physically or or emotionally. Um, So as I read that article, the memory of the NDA I experienced in January 2018 floods back to my memory. And at first, I'm thinking, I just had hallucinated all this because of the medical gases I was inhaling, I was tired, I was under a lot of physical... A pain at the time so it was just a hallucination but reading what the writer of the article went through seeing the light, a white light meeting with beings on the other side and so on i was just reminded of what had happened to me still having a bit of a scientific mind i was like maybe it's just a hallucination so that evening i go to my to my wife and i say to her oh you know, on a Sunday morning when we had a paramedic in the house before I was rushed to hospital, do you remember anything strange happening? And her face literally goes white. (laughs) And she says to me, "Um, I've never mentioned it to you, but on that day I thought you were dead. So I reply, how so? And she proceeds to tell me that As I was laying on the sofa and the paramedic was turning his back to me, taking notes, I was using the mask and all of a sudden she saw my hand drop and my body completely collapsed. And she said, your your eyes were completely lifeless. That's why I kneeled down and I touched your shoulder and you were not reacting. And it took you a couple of seconds to just like sort of like have kind of almost like a body shake and come back and you were almost jolted. And you looked at me very confused. And I thought, like, well, you had just temporarily passed that, but I had no idea that you had this whole experience on the other side because you never mentioned it uh, before. So the two stories corroborated. And so essentially we could say, well, you're like my witness for what I've just lived. And from there on started a very long journey of, A, being a lot more comfortable with death, because that was alleviating the fear of death almost instantly hey, life continues after death or our consciousness continues after death that is brilliant that's such a relief actually, now I'm free to live my life the way I want to and then I started yet to do a lot of research um, onto indeed near-death experiences learning that it happens to roughly 2% of the world population And, and I even did a bit of research yesterday about it and now it seems like it's 5% so that number seems to be going higher so Perhaps a lot more people are willing to share their experience as well, mm. and then re- reconnecting with well the nature of reality as we live it and the possibility that you know we have free will, we are spirits that do come here for an experience in human form, and we also have the possibility mm-hmm. to experience life the way we really desire to and from there on, it seems to for me, um, life has been better and better and better through that understanding that actually there's nothing to fear. Death is just a a continuity or a passage to our true nature and potentially the nature we, you know, we were in before being humans. And for a short while, I would also say that yeah, I, I would argue that you might still go through a disease, an illness, uh, an accident, so death could still be a painful process in some instances. But deep down, with the knowing that, well, on the other side, what awaits is your true nature. So whilst we're there as humans, I might as well make out the most of the experience for myself and for everybody else. So I reconnected with a lot of principles. i not going to start opening about them, because we could talk at length about all those different principles, but uh, one thing I would add, though, is a lot of people are, are on interviews, um, I've heard a lot of people who have NDs come back with a sort of a gift or something that they did not have before or a change uh, in their life. For me, I didn't think i come come back with much of a gift, uh, but uh, certainly a deeper understanding and the willingness to share that story because when I was younger, There were a few things that I knew would happen in my life and one of them being, this would happen around my teenage years, one of them being you need to go live in an English speaking country. I didn't know why but there was this strong desire to go live in an English speaking country. I happened to have a professional opportunity to move to the UK when I was young which I did and and I reconnected to more stories like that and one of the ways I reconnected to one of these childhood memories, desires, and knowingness was through doing hypnosis sessions and during one of those, one of these hypnosis sessions, I met um sort of a spirit guide, if you like, and that spirit guide said, "Well, remember when you were a teenager, you had that knowingness that one day you would be writing a book, and you always thought that this book would be inspired by experiences from your own life and I remember saying yes um." But I thought that this would happen when I'm much older, like in my sixties, because I've lived a lot and this is when I can tell about life. That being said, don't wait for it. Write it now. And I was like, okay, but where do I find the time? Having a full time day job to write a book and also I need, you know, not to do too much, yeah, not to burn myself out again. And the being said, don't worry, you know, just do what you have to do. And just like that, to tell you that quick story, um a few months later, I, through my new job, which was now more oriented towards legal advi- advice and so on, I did some qualifications and I went to my employ- employer at the time and I said, um, now that I have these new qualifications, I should be paid more. And literally, there's quite a big salary gap, but I'm proposing you one way to do it. So would you mind keeping me on the same salary? but I'm working one less day a week. And I will use that one day to write that book. And it was a bit of a bold statement to make because it could go one way or another. Worst case scenario, it was no, and that's fine. Uh, but it was, yes, absolutely. Well, a bit of negotiation on the salary side, of course, but uh, essentially I got one day free a week. So, and I started to write the, this very novel that uh, got here, which I've titled The Man Who Kept Dying. Uh, Vincent Olivier is a pen name. Vincent is my real first name. Olivier is just a name of my great-grandfather. And this novel was just my way of putting into a story uh, everything that I had reconnected to in terms of my understanding of the spiritual world, the spiritual concepts that we can apply here as humans, as well as integrating as part of the stories some of the events that have taken place in my life. So the car accident I've mentioned to you when I was 17, it's a whole chapter in the book. I've got chapters about lucid dreams, which have happened to me a lot. Chapters with encounters with snakes and so on. So it's a mix of story, but it it is really inspired from my life at the end of the day. And so I published it earlier this year. And so maybe I managed to bring that idea that I would publish a book when I would be in my sixties, but like two decades earlier. (laughs)
1: So this is it. Okay, thanks for sharing that story, Vincent. So I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, sure. Just while you were in the void. So this is a very common theme that I hear in NDEs: the, the the void uh, and the pinprick of light that you that you go towards. So before you saw that light, was there any? Did you have any other sort of sense? Like, could you see anything? Was there any? Could you hear anything? Could you feel anything? Was there a temperature? Was there any, any sort of sensory input at all?
0: So it feels like there was no sensory input or nothing at all. As I said, I had no thinking process at the time. It, for a short while, there was just me and my presence, if you like. And the, I was thinking nothing, I was feeling nothing. However, I could say there was just one sensation and it's a sensation of warmth, literally, like being really cuddled by a very warm energy, uh, and nothing else that than that, at least for me. And yeah, I, that didn't last very long uh, for me. I know that there are people, there are people who have like grand NDs. Mine was very short in a way. I guess it could have been a lot more. Uh, that's what I'm trying to explore in the novel. What if I had gone and met with a being? What would they have taught me or told me? Um, But no, to answer your question, just that warm sensation of being enveloped in in that. A lot of people mentioned, like, you know, a strong sense of love. I didn't feel it particularly. It was just imagine the vibration of her being very jerky. It was just like flat, calm, absolute calmness. Yeah. Very zen.
1: (laughs) And the four beings, I think you mentioned they were faceless. You didn't have any faces. Were they short, tall? Anything more about different sizes, age?
0: Different sizes and shapes. Uh, I could say I had the sensation that one of them was someone deceased in my family. Uh, although I said, you know, that I, I felt they were not from this lifetime, but I had the sensation that there was one that definitely we had a family bond. So perhaps from another lifetime, I'm not sure. A feminine presence for sure. Uh, so... One was shorter, more feminine presence. the other three were quite tall, and I could not really tell if they were more masculine or feminine um but they they I don't think all of them felt human in their appearance. It's again, the memory is quite fuzzy, but I could remember on the right side was yeah someone was smaller, feminine energy, the other three were more perhaps maybe a bit more masculine, the taller, more elongated limbs. Um, but the one on the far left to my vision, I just cannot remember exactly. This one, I didn't feel as much, but perhaps that presence was standing a bit more in the background. I'm not certain. But yeah, that, it's a really strange ses- sensation. I would liken it to, if someone were to knock on your door and you open the door and you physically you've never seen the person, but you know you've seen them before and you've known them from before and you're like, oh, we have that connection, don't we? Yes, we do. Um, it's, it's a strange thing, absolutely.
1: Tell us a little bit about your lucid dreams because I've had a few of those. And how, how do you... Is it something that you deliberately tried to have occur or did it occur naturally? What happened there?
0: Um, I don't know how you got into lucid dreams. Did you try a method or something when you were younger or was it just... Because for me, I had to try a method in my teenage years and then they keep happening spontaneously and I'm not really controlling when they happen
1: yeah it's kind of a bit of both so i was reading somewhere that um, to, to get to getting focus the first step is realizing that you're in a dream which hadn't happened for a long time and then i had a few times where i was like oh i'm actually dreaming and then at that point then focusing on either my hands or the ground bringing something into focus and then that, that sort of then caused my you know consciousness to come fully fully conscious during the dream so the lucid dream then started
0: I followed a similar method because I was, yeah, I don't know, I was 13, 14 years old and with some of my friends, we had that conversation, uh, discussions about lucid dreams and one of my friends said, oh, i love to do that. Apparently, you have to really think in the evening before you go to bed. Um, I want to have a lucid dream just before you fall asleep. I want to have a lucid dream. I'm going to take control of the dream. And for me, it happened quite quickly. Literally, I did that for three nights and on the third night i managed to get into a lucid dream and i remember um the settings were or oh, was called oh, the background was a bit ludicrous because he was on a military ship and i was like almost like a secret agent trying to navigate my way through the stairs without being uh, seen or noticed and at one moment i realized that i'm in that dream and i'm dreaming just exactly as you've just highlighted that's the moment where I say, actually, I don't like being on that ship. And first thing, I would like to remove all the people on the ship because I want to make sure, you know, I'm not being chased by anyone. And all of a sudden, it feels very quiet as if there's no one around. So I'm walking around. And then I said, I want to change the environment. I want to be on a nice sunny beach. And boom, I find myself on a nice sunny beach. Um, And then I realized that, wow, that's really nice to be able to change the environment. And I think I got a bit too excited during the dream about the potentials that I could do that I woke up. Uh, and then I tried again every, every evening for two weeks and nothing would happen until it happened again and then I've stopped doing it but they could happen sometimes I realize that I'm dreaming and I realize that I am in a dream um, and yeah in, in the novel there's one entire chapter which is called uh, Lucid Dream because it's a dream where for the first time in one of my dreams I saw myself um, as not Vincent and my physical self There there was a mirror in an elevator and i saw myself as an alien and i looked nothing like i look right now so basically i was very bulky i had completely different clothes and i was that green alien with very square face tiny ears tiny nostrils very large uh, white eyes and i remember like completely shaking and thinking almost panicking at the vision thinking that's not me, that's not me well, how, could, how can I see myself like that and of course the mirror was reflecting um, or mirroring every one of my movements so I would be like moving my hands and seeing the exact same thing in the mirror except it was not me I remember at that moment my breathing becoming a bit more accelerated and thinking I'm going to wake up and focusing back on the dream and saying don't wake up, don't wake up, don't wake up calm down and then I calmed down and I get closer I step closer to the mirror and then I really check myself like "Oh wow that's fantastic uh, and so I've had plenty of lucid dreams ever since um, that that those teenagers it's quite fascinating when you get to to this and also I personally receive a lot of information through my dreams so sometimes I've, I'm sitting in a room with other beings, I can never remember their face, but they, it's like there's a drawing board and very often they're showing me a lot of different things. And I remember at one point early in my spiritual rediscovery or journey of of rediscovery, um, there were all these mentions of the new earth, you know, we're shifting dimension, we're getting to a higher frequency, this and that. And I remember asking before going to sleep, you know, what's all about the new earth? And then I'm sitting at the table with that presence or that spirit next to me and he or she explained to me what it was all about and started to show me drawings on the table and the drawings are sort of illuminated so they're alive. It's not like a simple sheet of paper where you see drawings just like everything's alive and animated and explaining to me that essentially, yeah, there will be a shift of consciousness the plan is that you know some people will not want to go through that shift, so we will remain in you know their frequency. Uh, other people will move to a higher frequency, but it will be very seamless. People won't really notice in which frequency they are. You just notice that things around you do change uh, faster and for the better. I was like, wow, that's cool. So I did the drawing uh, when I woke up of what has what had been shown to me. It's um, one video on my YouTube channel uh, about that. Dreams are very interesting. I can receive a lot of information through dreams and meditation as well. But if I don't have the time to meditate, essentially I think I revert back to dreams.
1: (laughs) So you've you've mentioned your book and um, you also mentioned your YouTube channel. Is there any other way that people can get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions, if you're open to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely fine. So if you go on a YouTube channel, there is an email address which you can reach me at. Uh, otherwise, just yeah, leave a comment. I've got an Instagram account as well. They both name uh, the, the man who kept dying, but you can type Vincent Olivier, the man who kept dying on YouTube or Instagram, and you should find me. So please message me through um, those channels. And that's perfectly fine. If anyone has any question, I will answer. Always happy to share my story. And uh, and yeah, I think it's uh, an important Journey of reconnecting with our spiritual nature that we're all going through at this time. And it's nice to see more and more people sharing those experiences and also having the capabilities, you know, technological capabilities to share these experiences so easily. I'm sitting in France right now, you're sitting in Australia. We have this conversation. I think it's fantastic the times we're living
1: in. It's almost surreal sometimes, isn't it? It's easy to forget what's actually going on. Uh, And do you have any final message that you'd like to leave people with before we wrap up our conversation today?
0: There could be a lot of messages, but perhaps I'll try to summarize it very quickly. So the the first one I would say is something that was taught to me by one of the senior directors at the first company I worked at. And I asked him for a bit of advice in, in life, whether professional or personal. And He said to me, well, it's something I received from another mentor, but I'm going to say it to you. It's not about what you do in life. It's about how you do it. And I would change it slightly from more of a spiritual perspective. And I would say it's not about what you do in life. It's about who you are when you do it. Because everything, as I've understood, comes from a state of being. So the more you are and you're close to your true nature, the more you will see things align to that true nature of yourself. And as I've seen following my ND, it seems like I'm reconnecting more and more to purposes in life that I was meant to experience and believe that the ND was really a wake-up call I wasn't, as I was not going in the right direction. The um, second thing is, and it's, it took me a long while to understand that concept, but we are all coming from the same point of consciousness. So essentially, you could label it as God, Source, central point of consciousness, anything, but we all are God, so to speak. So we all have the, the same power and capabilities. We're just playing the ex- game and the experience of um, forgetting that we are that. And as a result, that made me realize that everybody else and everything around me is just a part of me. And I'm just a part of them, so, so to speak. So everything is interconnected. And with that, I tried to Oh, it certainly has helped me to have a lot more compassion for everything that's happening to people around me, in the world, and so on. Whilst at the same time, being able to maintain that capability to see clearly that I've got my own perspective on things. And because I have my own perspective, I don't need to impose it to anyone. I can just share it. If people are willing to listen to it, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine as well. And I think it's quite important. Uh, for me to mention that because I think in life there's always a lot of sometimes of friction or battle I'm thinking that way therefore you should think the same way too and I'm like not necessarily you know some people are free to have their own perspective as long as they don't try to impose it forcefully on somebody else but at the end of the day we all part of the same consciousness and we all are the same consciousness so as much as I can I try to treat people as if I was speaking to myself or dealing with myself to have a a lot more compassion
1: vincent thank you for that message and thank you for being a guest on my show today
0: thank you for inviting me once again i appreciate it and um, it was a really enjoyable experience as well